turn with me to the book of Psalms. I'll read verses 1 through 16. And let me offer a a note of thanksgiving. Um, Well, first, uh, an encouragement for your patience. There are many who were at the gala either Thursday or Friday of last week, and uh, there'll be some repetition in this message, some repetition. I, I won't be delivering the same address, but you'll, you'll recognize an outline in part of it. And with that, I want to thank Kat Shanks for allowing me and, and the board uh, to address um, two evenings at the gala, and for uh, John Shishko and the elders for for allowing me to preach this morning. So with that, Psalm 139, 1 through 16. This is God's word. Give your careful attention to its reading. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were fashioned, shaped for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Well, let's pray, and let's include Pastor Shishko, who's not feeling well today. Let's pray. Our Father... Indeed, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that you would guide us. We do pray for Pastor Shishko that you would heal and comfort him this morning with a sinus infection. We'd be with the family. We pray for Lauren, the kids. Uphold them, we ask. We're thankful for your word in these days. Guide us, lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Issue one has been voted on with a a clear majority, voting in favor, a yes, enshrining, rather interesting language, religious language, 
enshrining a woman's right to choose, enshrining reproductive rights, enshrining the right to abort a child. And so the fight goes on. The fight for life, the fight to protect the life of the unborn. The fight goes on. No surprise. This morning, um, I come to encourage. I come to encourage you uh, to remain steadfast in your pro-life convictions, to remain immovable in your belief that life begins at conception, to remain faithful in protecting the unborn. And whatever the case, legislation, even constitutional amendments, cannot fully answer the need, the problem, the struggle, the fight. It's up to a community of God's people. What is very much lacking in our relativistic society, God's people need to be very, very firm, loving but firm in their convictions in order that by God's grace among the Christian population in the United States, there might come a day where in darkness there might be light, a time in which the churches, by the blessing of God and by the power of the Spirit through his people, create not just more legislation that might go our way, but create a moral sense among a constituency, among a population, a greater population, a moral sense that would, that would move, that would bend toward protecting the unborn. And in order to do that, I, I encourage you this morning and draw your attention to Psalm 139. And the, the text this morning will be verses uh, 13 through 16. And again, a, an address I gave at the gala, but there's more. This is the theme this morning. The value, the worth of human life. The value, the worth of human life, even from the moment of conception. I'll personalize it. Your value, your worth, your dignity, your honor, your identity is found in your creator. So that's what we'll consider this morning from our text <clears throat> and more. And so there are three points this morning. You are created by God, reflecting and musing upon our worth, our value. As, as creatures of God, as created in his image, you are created by God, first. Second, you are a reflection of God. And then third, you are a witness to God. A creation of God, a reflection of God, and a witness to God. So let's, uh, let's consider the first, and, and it's obvious here in our text. If you look at 139, 13 through 16, He's making an argument, for, I, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
my bones, literally, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days before they ever came to pass. And so, and so we see that, that clearly there, there, is, there is that celebration, really a poem, a song, giving praise to God for his creation, a psalm of David, maybe in the spirit of David. But, but in this psalm, it is a clear, clear declaration that from the moment of conception, even, even when I was an unformed substance, the Lord wove me, he embroidered me, he made me, he fashioned me, he shaped me, he created me. We can take this from the moment of conception, God himself creates and we could ask from the text, well, how is it? How is it that he creates? Well, he creates when it, with an intimacy. As, as even from the moment of conception, there's not an abstraction. There's just not a, a fetus. It's just not a biological process. It's God himself who is in relationship. Yes, even in the mother's womb, in relationship to that 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 developing life very early from the moment of conception, sperm entering the egg, and you have life. It's at that point that God enters into a relationship. Wonderful covenantal thought, really. See all the, 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 the pronouns, and yes, I'll refer to the, the grammar of the text because we are interested in the word. Listen to the, the personal pronouns, the you and the I, the your and the my. You formed my inward. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My bones were not hidden from you. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book, days fashioned for me. I, me, I, thou, yours, mine. The text itself is loaded. And, and even earlier on in the reading, there is this relationship between God and David and the psalmist. And really, since it is embedded, canonical, the church has sung this for generations, for millennia. We sing this because it's our story as well. This relationship that God has with us, even from the moment of our conception, even before we were totally unaware, unconscious, being shaped and developing within the womb, there was a very deep and really inviolable relationship between God and that baby, God, and you while you were in your mother's womb. You have worth and value by virtue of God creating you. There's an intimacy, an intimacy between you and the creator God, the living Lord. You, my, you, me, I, you, I, thou, your, mine, you, my, you. And then in verse 18, 
When I awake, I, I am still with you. Isn't that a wonderful relationship? Something good to reflect upon, eh? Something very deep going on. Yes, even the metaphor and the depths of the earth. This is a similar pattern, by the way. It's just draw your attention that we are created by God and created by God with an intimacy. There's, there's this possession. There's, it's just not, well, you can't escape God. We see that. He is present everywhere and he knows everything. Even before I speak a word, he knows. Uh, but but there, there is this, this claiming, this, this wonderful relationship. We could say a covenant relationship, a relationship of steadfast love, unfailing love, even from the moment of conception. This pattern in creation. God creates light, and then, and then what does he do? He creates light, power is where he creates light, and then what does he do? He sees the light, and then he declares it good. He creates and he sees. What do you see in this text? It's God weaving, embroidering, making tapestry, creating, creating this, this babe within the womb. And then this, this emphasis on seeing. He even, he even sees my, 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 my uh, uh, unformed substance. He creates. He sees. He declares. He possesses. He claims. You belong to God. And God, in this mysterious way, belongs to you. Um, so you see the similar pattern. God indeed creates. It's, it's, it's like we usually emphasize his providence. He created the first six days and then governs all things that he makes. But this is rather unusual. It's, it's like an emphasis where God is creating just like the first six days. Every time a child is conceived within the womb, it's God who is creating. And then he sees And I, I should say, and I'll, I'll just, for your, just for your meditation, I won't develop this, but you see in this, in this poem, in this psalm, verse 13, there's, there's kind of like this, this transition. It's almost like a sonnet. It's not a sonnet, but almost like a sonnet. There's a, a transition that takes place, and, and you see it. Uh, he is extolling how God is with him, hand leading in the darkness, but the darkness doesn't hide. There's no darkness to God. He sees, he knows, he draws near, his hand leads. And how does he gain this assurance? You see, in verse 13, he reflects upon his own conception and birth. That's his assurance. I know you are with me. Your hand guides me. The darkness cannot hide me, for you formed me in your womb. And so here you have an adult in the present, perhaps struggling. There may be adversity, various trials. And, and, and he then reflects, he meditates, I know you are with me, and I know you are with me. How? Why? Because even from the moment of conception, you were weaving me, you were embroidering me, you were there, you saw my unformed substance, you were there, you were there, shaping, creating, making me. And so I know that wherever I am and whatever I do, in heaven, in Sheol, 
whatever forces I face, whatever darkness that I am in, I know this, that you are with me. Because you were with me even from the moment of conception. Isn't that a wonderful way of reasoning? People of God, isn't this a wonderful way of consideration? So how are we created? Created intimately, there's a relationship. No abstraction. How else in the text? And I, I'll kind of speed along. <laughs> we do have three points. Um, so how is God created? He's created you with beauty. And, and again, I, I won't spend a lot of time. The gala, I thought I did. You see in, in verse 13, you wove me in my mother's womb. Wonderful imagery. Weaving. And then it's developed in verse 15 when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought, that is, embroidered. Uh, it's like a tapestry. God as artist is making, but it's just not, it's just not like in a lab biologically. <laughs> it's like an artisan weaving, making this most beautiful tapestry. I won't go on and on, but Tibetan tapestry uh, went <laughs> on auction, Hong Kong, Christie's, $45 million, Tibetan tapestry, $45 million. Uh, there was a fragment of, 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 a Swiss, of a Swiss tapestry from the 15th century. It went for a million, a fragment, just a, a piece. Imagine just having a, a piece of you, a million dollars, tapestry. Columbus, Columbus uh, Museum, I think it was the only museum in the United States that, that exhibited the Dresden tapestries, probably worth millions of dollars. And it was noted around the country that Columbus had this exhibition of the Dresden Tapestry. Special, valuable. How much more special? How much more valuable? How much greater dignity? How much more splendor, majesty, than God weaving you within the womb? There's a beauty, and I... I I wanted to <coughs> reach out. I, my time is limited, I recognize. Uh, limited by your capacity to, to, to receive. Um, but uh, young people, I, I, I look at young people, and, and, and the issues today, and I, I'm not going to get into all of this, but, but all the confusion, the gender confusion, everything else about, and, and particularly young teenagers growing up and being, being a little awkward and feeling, feeling like, well, they either don't fit or... They don't look right, or their appearances aren't necessarily attractive, or whatever else, and that could lead to all kinds of, all kinds of confusion, all kinds of vision, all kinds of depression. I want to say to our young people that you are beautiful, and it's not by a standard of, say, cosmopolitan or what you might see on TV or on TikTok or whatever the the the, the strange media will tell you it's not that standard, it's a different standard. We need to rethink what beauty is. And this morning, on the basis of this text, I can say to all of you, but particularly our young people, don't be confused, don't be depressed, don't keep looking in the mirror and seeing that little blemish and, and, and falling apart, becoming fragmented and shattered. You 
are beautiful. And the way in which you are assured of that is not by looking in the mirror so much, by, but looking at the glory of God, his power, wisdom, goodness, and strength as he has so made you and as he continues to lead and guide you in your destiny through life. He knew you even before you were conceived. He conceived you in the womb. He was the midwife when you were born, Psalm 22. He led you in the green pastures beside the still waters. Yes, in death, even through the valley of shadow of death. And then will resurrect you on that day. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Consider who you are, your identity in your God. Beautiful are you made. So, oh, I, I was going to read this from Alan Milver. A book that he has written, You Are Not Your Own. Listen to this. I, I think it's important. It's all, el all efforts to craft a perfect or unique or attractive, I'm adding a little bit, all efforts to craft a perfect or unique or attractive or marketable image add nothing, add nothing to your personhood. Nor can any institution, cultural force, the opinions and convictions of others define you. You are not reducible to any human efforts to define you. You are not reducible to any human efforts to define you. Even, even the narrative in your own mind, even your own head, even, even your thoughts about yourself, they do not define you. This word defines you. You are not reducible to any human efforts to define you. The only, the only being who can fully know you, the only being that can fully know you, understand you, delight in you, find joy in you, and love you, is the true and the living God. If you're fragmented, shattered, despaired, whatever, come the pieces will come together. So, how are you created intimately with beauty? And I have to say, and I'll be even quicker, hopefully with this, with mystery. Intimately, beautifully, with mystery. Verse 15, my frame, my bones, literally, were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought embroidered, can be rendered, and wrought in the depths of the earth. What kind of metaphor is that, in the depths of the earth? Some say, well, it's the womb, depths of the womb. And some say, oh, it's an allusion back to Adam being created in the dust of the earth. Possibly, and this is, this is just speculation on my part, I'm wondering if this is not some subversive poke at paganism and uh, the, the the various ideas of the earth generating life. No, the earth doesn't generate life. No goddess, no pagan goddess generates life. There's no theogony in some cosmogony of paganism. It's God who creates life. And maybe this metaphor is being used subversively 
Yeah, even in the depths of the earth. Yes, in the depths of the womb, secretly, with hidden where you can't see it. Yeah, maybe connected to, with Adam, the original creation, but subverting any other thought, any other pagan thought. God creates you. What the, what the natural eye can't see, the scripture gives us light. There is, there is a veil. There is a veil that will blind unless the Lord opens that veil and gives you light. And we see it's just not a biological process of sperm and egg. The conception within the womb is God himself. And there's a mystery to it, a mystery to it. Using such a metaphor in the depths of the earth. And then that destiny. It's the pagans used to have this idea in antiquity, that, that the chief God would hold the tablet of destiny. It's God who writes the tablet of destiny, the true God. And it's our destiny. Even before there was a day, he knows it. And what's fully mysterious is our liberty is preserved. He, he knows our days. He has fashion, shaped like he fashions and shapes us in the womb. So by his word, he shapes, he fashions our future, our destiny. Our being shaped within the womb is, is connected, there's a correspondence with our future because it's God who shapes it. And what's mysterious is, is our liberty, our freedom is preserved in all of that. This is not a determinism. He is sovereign. He, he indeed decrees, ordains, really fashions and shapes. But in that fashioning and shaping, here's mystery, I can't resolve it, is, is our liberty to make a decision. But once we make a free decision, we look back and we say, oh, lo and behold, it's God's will. That's mystery. There's an intimacy and a beauty even to the mystery. The Book of Destiny. So, that's the first point. I, I know I need to move along. We have the Lord's Supper. Uh, but uh, the first point: you are you are you are created by God. You are created by God. Don't forget that. And even from the moment of conception. So much for issue one. We move ahead. Here's our vision. Second, you are a reflection of God. And I'm going to move quickly because I may get into the weeds. This is going to be inferential. This is going to be theological. This may be a little bit more challenging, stretching. We have sung throughout the service. We have prayed throughout the service, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe one God, three persons, and each person is absolutely God. Uh, it, it really is a mystery. And, and classically, <clears throat> and from the scripture, we, 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 make this, we make this declaration, this truth, that the Father is neither begotten nor does he proceed. The Son is eternally begotten. It's important. The Son is eternally begotten. And the Spirit is infinitely proceeds, eternally proceeds from both Father and Son. But each person of the Godhead is fully God. 
Yet there is a distinction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you think about that outline of intimacy, beauty, and mystery, consider the Father begetting the Son. There was never a time when the Son was not. Jesus, as the Son of God in his deity, always was and always will be fully God, eternal, equal with the Father. Power, glory, majesty. But we understand that he is eternally begotten. And what that says to us, what the, the, the difference that that makes, and, and, and the, really, really the truth that we can rejoice in, this is not abstract theology, is we say that, that God is the fountain of life. God is not static. He's not Allah. He's kind of up there kind of determining everything. God is a community, if we could put it that way, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son is being eternally begotten. God is the fountain of all life. There is always a dynamism of life. There is always a fertility. There is always an abundance. We can say there's always a fecundity within God. The Father continues to beget the Son eternally, and that is life. Now, where, that's, where is that going to be reflected? If we are a reflection of God made in his image, where is that going to be reflected? It's kind of like the sun. Have you ever seen a picture of the earth like compared to the sun? It's like this little dot with this huge disk. Now, consider earth in relation to the sun. Now, consider me and my kitchen table lighting a candle and comparing that to the sun. It's just like the light of the candle would be absolutely consumed, the candle itself. Ah, it would all be consumed by, by the sun itself. But, but consider, consider that little flame compared to the sun. God, and again, this just scratches the surface. I, I struggle to bring this analogy because he created the sun and he created the billions of suns within our universe. But compare the size, the majesty, the power, the heat, the light of the sun compared to a candle. God is the sun. The baby being conceived is the candle. We are the candle. There is a reflection. There's still light. There's still heat. But, but, but the comparison is just like, it's almost absurd. Yet there is still that reflection. The candle reflects the sun's light, heat. So when a child is conceived, get this, when a child is conceived, God shaping the womb, even the process of conception itself reflects the father begetting the son eternally. You get that? The process of conception itself reflects, is the image of the Father begetting the Son and the Spirit proceeding from the Father and Son, infinitely, eternally, where we temporally, in a moment of time, are begotten. Son is begotten, never a time before, never a time after, eternally, infinitely, being begotten by the Father. And we, in a moment of time, are begotten in the womb. I'm going to say this, the very process, and think about this, it's worth meditating upon. The process of conception itself reflects the living and true God as he relates to himself 
within the trinity of persons within the Godhead. And the difference that that makes is how he creating you to reflect himself. Indeed, we are quorum Deo. We live before the face of God, but we are imagio Dei. We are also made in the image of God. And we ask, well, what is that image? It really begins from the moment of conception when we reflect the relationship between the Father and Son in the Holy Spirit. You have much worth. You have much value. God loves you as he loves the Son. He loves you as he loves himself in the Godhead, in that trinity of persons, in that wonderful fellowship and communion eternally and infinitely. He loves you in time and space, even in the womb. You reflect his image, imagio Dei. You are his picture. You are his candle. You are that which he loves and cherishes and rejoices over because you reflect him. Got it? Think about that. Just know, don't be discouraged with yourself. There's intimacy in the relationship. There's beauty in the relationship between the father and son. Intimacy, beauty, and mystery. And so it is with us. Say God loves you. And when I say that, it's just not a, it's not a cliche. Everybody can say that. God so loves the world. Cliche. Unfortunately. But I can say God loves you because there's something very deep going on. Even from the moment of conception, you reflect him. You are imagio dei. You are the candle. He loves you because he loves his own image. Third and last. Indeed, we are created by God, we reflect God, and we are a witness to God. And I, what I mean by that is we witness a conception that is really beyond all conceptions, a conception that is supreme, the conception of the Son of God. If you read Psalm 139, and just the text that I read, 13 through 16, and, and consider that one who came, the God-man, Jesus. What does, what does the angel say to Mary? I, oh, what, what is conceived within you is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Most High, overshadows you, overshadows you. Depth of earth overshadows you. Consider the intimacy between God and Jesus, the Father and the Son. Consider the beauty, kind of skipping along, we could take time to unfold that, I won't. Consider the mystery, even the mystery of his destiny. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the overshadowing of the Most High. Being born, not esteemed by others, like a root out of parched ground. Living dying and atoning death. All things are finished in his death? What? An atoning death? A death to redeem? A death to deliver, to forgive, 
to justify you. Risen again. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Talk about splendor and beauty. Splendor and beauty in your Savior. Simply behold him this morning. Simply behold him as he's given to you in the word. Simply behold him as you can think and possibly imagine his glory now at the right hand of the Father. Talk about intimacy. Talk about beauty, majesty, splendor. Talk about mystery where he, he comes to you. He comes to each of his churches. He comes to each of his children. He comes to each of you. Talk about mystery, a destiny fulfilled, and your destiny fulfilled in him. For what is true of him is true of you. If he died, we die with him. If he's raised, we're raised with him. If he's seated at the right hand, so are we in principle. If he is the embodiment of a new creation, so beautiful, majestic, and mysterious in his resurrection and ascension, so are you united to him. Isn't that worth praising? Fading is the worldling's pleasure with all his boasted pomp and show. Even issue one. Solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. Fearest Lord Jesus, beautiful Savior, Son of God and Son of Man. Oh, this flower whose fragrance tender with sweeter whose with sweetness fills the air dispels with glorious splendor dispels with glorious splendors the darkness everywhere saves us from sin and death he saves us and lightens Made you. He's made you in such a way to reflect who he is, even in your imperfection. And he calls you to witness of his grace, power, splendor, beauty, intimacy, mystery in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.